It's an invitation to invite people in to play an active role in matters that impact them and to put them into the driver's seat. And I think with that comes a huge amount of benefits, not only on the individual level, but in, from a societal level uh, as well. People feel like their voices are heard, that they are getting a meaningful response, that things can be done um, hopefully at a pace uh, that works for them and that things that, you know, are important to them can be addressed along the way. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons. We are the largest law firm in the world with offices in more than 200 locations across 80 countries available to support you everywhere you do business. We're a law firm that embraces change and can help you grow, protect, operate, and finance your organization, which is why Dentons is organized to offer more than just legal insight. We're here to help you find business solutions in a seamless fashion across the globe. Hi, everyone. My name is Heather Barnhouse, a partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. On last week's episode, we heard from three justices of the courts in Alberta who provided some background and information about the Alberta Courts initiatives in restorative justice. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by China Seeger, Program Director for Peace Regional Restorative Justice, as well as Ray Yellowknee, the Manager of Justice and Public Safety for Big Stone Cree Nation. I'm excited to hear their perspectives on the use of restorative justice process in Alberta and continue the conversation from the last episode from a different perspective. Welcome, China, and welcome, Ray. Hi, Heather. Thank you. It's so great that you were able to join us. To begin with, can I ask each of you to provide a little bit of background about yourself and how you came to be involved in the Restorative Justice Initiative? Let's start with you, Ray, and then we'll move over to China. Okay. Um... I started working for an organization in 1990. Um, but before that, I always worked for our, our people in the north. Yeah. And with this organization, it was a court worker program. And I became a manager. So back in 1990, we formed a, a youth justice committee, the, the first one in the province with, without any guidelines. Oh, wow. And, and then we... We moved on from there, and uh, so that probably in 2000, um, I left after 2001 and went on to something else, but I always came back home, and so 2015 is when we started our restorative justice program, great. and it's been growing ever since. That's great. You were an early adopter, and you continue to be involved. Yeah, and we sort of followed the same process with our with our RJ as we did with the Youth Justice Committees, made up of all elders mm-hmm. and with knowledge and knowledge holders, and you know they know about land based learning, which we use a lot in our program. So that's where we're at. That's where you're at. And what about you, China? What's your background and your involvement? 
Wonderful. Uh, my journey with restorative justice started when I was a university student in New Zealand, actually. Oh. Um, my background's in anthropology, and I learned about the concept of restorative justice um, in an anthropology class. And, you know, a light bulb went off in my head, and I thought, this makes really good sense. And then I took that idea away and carried on my youth for a few years and finished my degree and did some travels. And I wound back up in my hometown in British Columbia um, before ending up in Alberta. And uh, lo and behold, I eventually got connected with a community-based restorative justice program in Fairview. And so I became a volunteer. I was really keen to get involved. And I kind of thought it serendipitous that I learned about this concept on the other side of the world and landed in another new place um, yeah. away from my home that uh, there was a community-based restorative justice program. So I got involved as a volunteer facilitator. I trained with a really great team and immediately wanted to immerse myself in the field and practice. It continued to make sense. Uh, it spoke to me and I felt really connected to the philosophy and the work. And so I continued to volunteer for a number of years and, and tried to get connected in the provincial network and, and take as much training and get as much practice as I could as a facilitator. And, you know, just my kind of life and work travels uh, eventually led me to the town of Peace River, only an hour away in uh, here in Alberta. And it just came to a point in 2015 where I had the confidence and the energy to get started on creating um, our own uh, community-based restorative justice program in here in Peace River. So I have been working with a really dedicated group of community members and volunteers since 2015 to build and grow another a community-based restorative justice organization. And so I have been um, you know, driving that force uh, since then. And we have uh, endured, you know, funding challenges and kind of the trials and tribulations of, of of building a nonprofit from the ground up. And today we have been operating successfully now for seven years. We are a team of two and a half staff. I am the program coordinator. Uh, we work closely with our criminal justice system partners, um, RCMP, uh, Crown Prosecution, Victim Services, and a number of other um, non-criminal community partners to offer a victim-centered restorative justice organization. And so it's uh, it's it's my work and my passion, and uh, it's exciting to to be a part of uh, such meaningful program development and part of the provincial movement here um, in Alberta. So I've I've also had the pleasure to participate at the provincial level in the Alberta Restorative Justice Association, and um, yeah, get connected to some of the the justices doing the work as well um, with the courts pilot project. So onward <laughs> onward well that's uh that's great background you both have had uh, a long history you've been involved for roughly the same amount of time in in sort of different ways and you've grown with the program and had some um some successes and some experiences with it and i want to get into a little bit more um ab about your experiences so we heard last episode from the justices that the restorative justice is it, it is a process and it works really well, but it isn't appropriate for all matters. And so far with the pilot project, it has been used mainly in the criminal context. And China, you alluded to that with that, with some of your comments. Can each of you provide some of the benefits that you have seen in the use of the process? So in context, obviously, where it's appropriate to use the restorative justice process, what have you seen 
as some of the, the benefits. And maybe we'll start this time with you, China. Great, thank you. Uh, benefits, uh, many uh, for individuals, uh, for community. Um, I, I think first and foremost, you know, restorative work is about people and addressing needs and harms. And through processes, restorative processes, and it, it really is about valuing what people can bring to the table and believing that when people are, you know, given, you know, provided with safety and support to have difficult conversations and work through difficult things, we have skills and abilities to manage those things. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. it, 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 it's an invitation to invite people in to play an active role in matters that impact them and to put them into the driver's seat. And I think with that comes a huge amount of benefits, not only on the individual level, um, but in, from a societal level uh, as well. Um, people feel like their voices are heard, that they are getting a meaningful response, that things can be done um, hopefully at a pace uh, that works for them. And yep. that things that, you know, are important to them can be addressed along the way. And not only, you know, for the people who've been harmed, what needs they have and impacts and, and what they need to make things right, but also how can we support people who've caused harm to get the needs and supports they have to prevent the harm from happening again. And I think the, the whole philosophy of restorative work is about um, valuing and respecting and providing dignity to people um, and recognizing that, you know, we are so much more than the mistakes or harms that we've caused. And mm -hmm. it's such a shift in mentality where we live in a society where we want to cast blame and push people apart rather than bring them together. Um, and I often think of the the broader ripple effect that these processes and even the the option for these processes can can bring is 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 about, you know, we want to, you know, bring people back together and resort to those, you know, their basic human skills, communication, conflict resolution, empathy, understanding, the ability when appropriate for people to practice forgiveness and healing. Um, it's, there's so much more opportunity. And so I, I always jump first to what it can do for people. And then of course, I mean, we can imagine and think of many, many ways how that translates to broader benefit in community. Yeah, what I really like or what I really sort of what resonated with me and what you said was that there's really the opportunity um, for 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 people not to feel like something is being done to them. So this 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 sentence is being imposed on them or somebody else is making decisions about them for them, but for them to really participate in in the process so that this is not something that is being done to me, but I am, I'm having a say, I, I have the opportunity to, you know, voice my opinions and participate in a process that otherwise would be all about me, but, but I'm sort of on the periphery. And so what I think you just described was really the opportunity to collaboratively and meaningfully participate in a process that will lead ideally to someone not feeling like they are just ancillary to, you know, a, a justice process that is happening with or without them. Absolutely. Ray, what what about you? What what have you seen as some of the the benefits with the experiences that that you have had or you've been part of? Well, there's so many, <laughs> you know, um, from day one, we've had uh, 
support from the, the crown and, and the judge. But this started before that. We were getting self-referrals and oh. family referrals for charges that we normally wouldn't get, like impaired driving, home invasion is one. And we got involved and it was, uh, we were very, very happy with how the Crown supported our recommendations. And and that that was sort of led to our current uh, relationship with with the Crown and the judges that come to Wabasca. But one of the reasons that we feel is that we are looking at our, at our cultural ways of addressing matters. We call our program Nihio Uyasuiwin, and it means indigenous way of restoring uh, our place in society or, you know, trying to make things right. It involves yeah. making things right with the, with the victim. And and whenever we can, we we definitely uh, involve the victim in what we do. But uh, in our language as well, there's no word for guilty. There oh. is there is accepting responsibility for yeah. what happened, which is similar. Um, and the focus then is is to address the root causes of the situation that our people are in. And a lot of times, you know, when they start digging back into why why they're doing this, they're living in a lifestyle that, you know, they were, that's how they grew up. A lot of alcohol abuse and, you know, a lot of peer pressure from friends and, and, and siblings. And so, and their parents were not brought up. They were brought up in a residential school. Yeah. So there was no, no parental training to because the nuns and priests had no experience being parents so right. so they were living in that sense but a lot of them were already moving beyond that they were starting to you know they have jobs families and they're starting to look at themselves but unfortunately sometimes alcohol becomes a problem and so these that's where these these problems start from so by getting these people the help that they need we, we had to partner with the local agencies. Uh, Big Stone has uh, addictions counseling, um, couples counseling now, and uh, anger management is a big thing. People didn't know why they were doing this until they mm. see, sit with the elders and you see the tears flowing. Yeah, you know, there, there's there's something there that we, we knew we could reach. And so this becomes uh, part of our process is to make sure they get the help that they need. But our biggest success has to be from the Crown who, who withdrew all these charges, except for the, the ones I mentioned before, the, uh, you know, impaired driving and, uh, and the uh, home invasion uh, charges. Those are serious. And, but they, uh, for the most part, and the successes we were getting, in our community, we're, we're, we're well known around the community and beyond. And and uh, but we're always quick to include the the crown and their acceptance. And we taught them what we can as well. They we've invited them to our treaty day celebrations, and they come eat our food. And you know, so in a way, we sort of 
teaching and what it is that our that our elders are teaching our our younger people. So, so you, inv you invite you invite them you invite them to participate in in your ways so that they can also understand what uh, what that means for your community. That's right. Yeah. Great. And, and we've been getting involved in these matters. Some matters that we we didn't ask for them, but they were thrown on uh, on our lap. Yep. One is involving uh, treaty rights, hunting, uh, firearms charges. We got involved and we helped people get the proper certification and and um, the charges are withdrawn. These are things that are being heard across the province. So people are calling us from all over. Hey, how do we do this? So it's sort of beyond our 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 help, but. Uh, we tell them what we do and um, they're very interested and they they're always coming to us we don't have to ask for cases but there are so many matters uh it's uh, i can't bring discuss them all because there's so much our people need that isn't provided locally you know and that's that's where that's how we got into all these other programs it's it's exciting yet it's it's tiring we have the excellent staff now and uh we they they all know the role and we've also taken over the court worker program uh, and uh so now we have that tie as well with uh with that part and so we are looking forward to a busy busy winter that was that was great. I heard from both of you slightly different benefits, but they both were complementary. They resonated and really focused on both the community aspect as well as what it can do for the individual. And I think the the real moral of of the story of what I've been hearing over the last couple of episodes is that it, it part of the you know success, if we want to call it that, of the program is the totality of it. And so it's not sort of an isolated matter. Nobody's on an island being you know. Uh, uh, something done to them, but it, it it's really understanding the impact of the totality of 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 what has happened about accepting responsibility and about integrating people into the community so that they have that sense of belonging and that sense of purpose, um, so that they understand who they are and 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 where they are. And so I think both of your 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 comments really emphasize all, all of those aspects. So I I thought that was I thought that was great. I want to move to a slightly different topic, uh, one that I'm sure you'll both have lots to say about. And one of the considerations for jurisdictions adopting the restorative justice process or, or programs often comes out of frustrations with the current justice system. Do you have any comments on any frustrations with the current justice system that say would motivate you to consider using alternate programs such as the restorative justice process in a way to you know potentially overcome some of those frustrations ray what do you have to say about the the frustrations with the current system well the frustration i guess is going back to my earlier comment about the youth justice committees yeah. Uh, we started with no no guidelines, no policies, and all of a sudden, two years later, they wanted us to follow guidelines. Mm. And I'm sorry to say, the elders threw them in the garbage. But <laughs> <All> <laughs> now, <right. laughs> after operating for seven years, you know, getting cases that we were normally dealing with uh, and having them withdrawn by the crown after 
the client has done so much to improve. And the other thing is uh, that they are committed to this new lifestyle. And so we have a ceremony when, we, when they graduate from our program at the courts and the judge and the prosecutor and everyone else is involved. And, you know, there's prayer, there's a, a gift given, and it's really something to see. And so the key there was withdrawing the, the charges. And lately, the frustration is there's a, a policy <laughs> policy from uh, justice uh, referral guidelines that we have to follow. Yep. And that makes a lot of those charges not referable anymore. Oh. That's a frustration. But we, if they do, they, it has to be on a guilty plea. And a guilty plea is a problem for our people who want to go back to school. A lot uh, of them are have higher grades, like grade 10, 11, and they want to go into maybe nursing or or some kind of trade, and they can't do that with a guilty plea. They can't, they're not eligible for jobs uh, within a nation with a criminal record. So that is where, what, we're, what we're struggling with right now. Yeah, I can see how that would uh, that would seem to, to to pose some roadblocks. I, I hope that um, I hope that we'll be able to find some solutions to reduce those frustrations. China, what about you? Have you have you seen similar things, or do you have different observations about some of the frustrations? I'll start with, um, you know, I think these are kind of well-known things that people, you we might hear about frustrations that might um, encourage people to consider restorative processes kind of from a practical perspective is that processes can take time in criminal justice. Yeah. Um, they also can take time in restorative practices as well. And I think sometimes, you know, we get questions where people are like, well, how long is this going to take? expecting it to happen quite quickly and because we have it we do follow a process um, that's principle-based that considers safety readiness preparation um, availability we're still dealing with a lot of the same factors with criminal the criminal justice system so I think uh, again sometimes that's time and people's also desires to get through a difficult thing quickly um, are, are often there um, so I think that's kind of a balance that both can can bring, uh, I think, with consideration to the restorative side of things that people have more control over what that timeline looks like. And they right. can go a bit more with the, the pace of their own readiness um, and abilities and, and so forth. Um, I, you know, we hear people talk about the impersonal nature of, you know, criminal justice processes sometimes, along with, right. you know, people who've been harmed, feeling like their, spe their specific needs as individuals are not met. And so we can explore, you know, we can personalize restorative processes for individuals, um, and not just direct, who've been directly harmed, but the people in their support crews, along with people who've caused harm as well. So there's a lot more influence, um, exploring um, and personalizing each process to meet people's needs, which can be very appealing to people. Um, I know, you know, a common, uh, you know, feedback we hear is that restorative justice is soft on crime or that it's, um, it's the easy way out um, upon which we, you know, we respond uh, 
with more accurate kind of information about what the processes can entail and often feedback from people is that it can be more difficult and people have to put a lot more work into it emotionally um, and thoughtfully to work through um, with the facilitators and with each other to to get to the other side and so um, I also think something that you know restorative justice can do um, includes um, you know addressing more intently root causes of harm mm -hmm. and broader supports and connections for all parties impacted that can be made to help um, prevent further harm, mitigate risk, meet needs, create safety, um, support people through their healing and their own personal processes. Um, yeah, and I th I think too it's it's a big part for people, especially I think people who've caused who've been harmed, is having more control in the mat. Like like you talked about it earlier on, Heather. Like they're they're doing justice is being done with them, rather right. than to them or for them or not at all. Um, right. It's 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 inclusive and it's participatory. Um, yeah, and I think people with the criminal justice system when they don't have outcomes that they don't like it may this is a speculative it may feel different than if it's an outcome that they didn't entirely expect or want or like with a restorative process the difference being that with a restorative process they get to have a say and in my experience even if sometimes it doesn't look exactly like people thought it would be or they don't feel exactly like they expected to through or as an outcome of the process, they still feel validated that their opinion has been sought and that their um, needs have been um, included. Yeah, <clears throat> it's not at all the the same thing because it's not in a criminal context. But I, I many of the clients that I work with, if you know, they get into they get into little hits here and there, and they have some disputes with either other shareholders or suppliers, or you know, they have some fights, some corporate fights, and uh, we get called in sometimes to help them. Um, resolve that. And sometimes they choose litigation and then they hate it because they're mm -hmm. subject to this process and this timeline that is just sort of made up. It seems artificial to them and and they don't like it. It feels like it's just out there in the abyss and they have to wait for some sort of a determination. And sometimes even though maybe the outcome is exactly the same as what it would have been if you go to court, but if the parties get into a, a process like a mediation or an arbitration process where they have some control over, okay, let's choose a facilitator, a mediator, an arbitrator who has some particular expertise in this very nuanced, you know, corporate or commercial matter. And they will know, they'll speak the language and I can, you know, we can have a conversation about timelines. So we'll make sure that we, you know, exchange documents by this day and then we'll submit briefs by, you know, that day. People generally, I think to, to what you're saying, China, they, they feel like they have some, uh, I don't know, agency over the process and some ability to say, well, that isn't that timeline isn't going to work for me because this other thing is going on, but we can still be reasonable and we can, you know, agree on on something else. And so I think the, you know, in my in my very simple corporate law brain, the analogy of what you're talking about is people like to be included um, and not to say that they're going to love the outcome. The outcome may still, you know, be hurt, be, be hurtful, or they still may have to do a lot of work, or they still, in a case of a commercial matter, they they may lose. 
but at least they have had the best chance they can have of directing an outcome as opposed to being completely at the mercy of, of someone else. And so much of what you're saying is, in my mind, an analogy to what we often try to direct people to in a civil matter. Yeah, I agreed. And I would say that it's restorative processes are more dynamic, right? They're co-created. Right. They they develop. They're a, they're a narrative. And more so, I would say, than criminal justice processes, right? Where there's a lot of things that are prescribed along right. the way. Um, right. And of course, unexpected things can happen and different things can change. But it's, and I think that really can really motivate people to realize like, wait a second here, this could be something that I at least want to consider. Um, right. And holy, like, I'm actually being offered this opportunity to right. to participate in that way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great way of uh, of saying that. I want to ask a question um, about, you know, your your opinions about about the why do you think that this initiative has enjoyed some of these early successes? And I think we've touched on on many of them. Obviously, success is very difficult to measure. We don't have a checklist to say, well, we did 10 of these this month, therefore we've you know achieved success. But what do you think some of the qualities are that you attribute to how we measure that success? So, China, you've given some examples, and Ray, you've given some examples. But are there are there qualities or metrics that we should be looking at other than the number, the sheer number of, uh, you know, cases that have been through the process that you think are meaningful when we're looking in totality to the success of the of the initiative? Ray, do you have any thoughts on that? I think, um, in my opinion, the key will be how our people are being, uh, what changes they're seeing in the system. And for mm -hmm. example, um, we're now getting involved with family mediation yeah. using our elders. And uh, it's exciting because we see our, our parents that are no longer together, but there's children involved that are fighting in court. And right. nobody wins, the child loses. Right. And our elders want to be involved. They want to give they want to go to court with a with a resolution on how the child should be raised, and and it, it's not the lawyer that's making the decisions anymore, uh, or the judge. And the judge doesn't want to do that. You know, he right. said you guys should, should get together and come up with a solution. He said I don't want to be making these decisions for you. So that's like the go ahead for us to go and help them. And too often there's a lot of. Uh, not hatred, but there's a lot of feelings left in the relationship, and 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 then the child is sort of used in yeah. the middle, and and so the elders recognize that, so they want to sit down and come up with a solution, you know, parenting. You can still both be parents living apart, yeah, you know, and that's that's the message that they give. So. Our ability to do that with our with our program is is a big plus. We also uh, our elders are asked to participate in different activities in the community, and based on their experience in dealing with the problems in our community, they are a very important resource for the rest of the community. Yeah, that's uh, those things. I think are really important because many times I think when you're when we're thinking about these. Um, 
you know, issues or, 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 or trials or cases that get brought forward in, in the criminal justice system, it's all about the individual, the accused. And what you're just articulating, Ray, is that it's really about how the community can come together and support uh, the family or the individual or, you know, whatever it, it is. And, and I think that if you don't have those support systems, once you're on the other side of a process, it can be really difficult to feel integrated. And again, back to that feeling like you belong in a, in a community or in a, in a, you know, a program or something. And so having those elders and, and, and sharing the message about how we want to raise children, even though we might not live together, I think those are really good examples of how we need to think broader than just about, you know, maybe one individual who's, who's been part of the process. Those were some great examples. China, what do you uh, think about that? I think, well, when I think about, you know, what are successes or metrics, uh, and I th I've been thinking about this a lot lately, just as, as I practice more and I'm connecting with more people in community and also through the growing relationships we have um, with our criminal justice partners as a result of um, the, the Alberta Courts pilot project. Mm -hmm. um, and, and one of those questions is, you know, what is success and according right. to whom? Right. And in what context? Um, and it's it expands. And again, it's something that's dynamic because what is successful to a person who's been harmed might not be as big of a priority to the like to the criminal justice system or to right. the person who's caused harm but also trusting that there's value in each of those things that people feel are successful and important to them. And which I, I think adds like a layer of complexity, but also provides some relief. There's space for it to grow and expand and shift. Um, there's flexibility in it. And we have to be open, I think, to the qualitative feedback and right. captures of success and value for individuals, community, the criminal justice system, um, society in general, and so forth. Um, I definitely, you know, even asking questions like, is success, you know, our, expanding our, our consideration of, is success recidivism? Is it recidivism end stop? Or is it recidivism for a period of time, for lesser right. crimes? Um, and so forth. And, and I think you kind of get the point that I'm trying yeah. trying to make. Um, and I think communities and the programs and the partnerships they have that meet their community needs get to define what that success looks like. Right. And I think another uh, byproduct of that and speaking to the success of the, the pilot project from my perspective as a community-based organization and practitioner and someone who has been well-connected you know, and active in the provincially with the restorative justice movement from where I stand, I think it's been quite successful. And I, I think uh, I really see more and more how, you know, this is a big something new for the bigger picture. And there's different players with different backgrounds, expertise, needs, needs for success, needs for structure, needs for policy, practice. And we are all coming together to try and and make it work as best we can to the greatest extent possible. And I, I really see a success in how are we as communities in a province trying to create options that meet the needs of all parties involved. So which also is kind of interestingly 
like restorative in nature, right? And right. I know that sounds like a bit of an idealistic uh, perspective, but I think we have to in to maintain continued success and recognizing that success today might look different tomorrow versus next year and five years down the line. It's right. evolving, just it's like evolving. restorative practice is evolve, right. evolve, is that we have to embody the restorative principles in how we do the work and build build the movement because we're going to lose sight of of what matters and we're going to then start to place value more on one stakeholder or the other or this person's need versus that person's needs and i think bringing all these minds and different perspectives together stands to strengthen can it make it challenging sometimes heck yeah um it it, you know it 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 took a lot of hard work and collaboration and you know to get to this point and I mean, I'm very fortunate that we can I can speak really positively to about our experience and and choosing to to find the stumbling blocks, redefine them, I should say, as opportunity to create an even better outcome rather than oh, this person or that group or whomever is being difficult or I don't know, or we're at an impasse or whatever. It's like, no, let's figure this out. Um, Because I think what we all agree on for whatever reason is our own priority. It's valuable and it's needed. I love that. And actually, that that leads very nicely. You've partially answered my uh, my next question for you, which is, I'm interested to know what you hope is next for RJ in this province. And I think you've touched on that a little bit, China. But I'm also curious to know, um, and I think we've talked, we've touched on this also today, but I'm also curious to know if you think there might be something else that is appropriate like other, you know, family, seeing more restorative justice processes used in family law context in addition to, you know, the criminal context. So just wanted to open it up. Maybe we'll start with you, China. I know you've just, you've sort of answered that question, but just to see if you have any other last thoughts on where you hope the process is going next and what you, uh, what you would love, love to see from that. To answer your question about, you know, the application outside of like the criminal justice system or criminal Mm -hmm. context, absolutely. Um, I think it becomes quite evident to people from all backgrounds when you really look at the heart of what what the practice is about and the philosophy is about. It makes sense to people because it it it. You know, they connect with it because it's a it's about tapping into our innate abilities and our desires for connection and and belonging like you mentioned before and we realize like it's almost to me I and I remember this when I first learned about the concept of sort of justice I almost felt like one light bulb went off and then I was kind of like well duh like of course this makes sense because it's about being human and and that doesn't mean it's easy it's hard and it's messy but it's it's necessary and it's 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 a powerful thing and so it's we realize that and i think it really causes us to redefine like who we are in relation to others that it shifts i know for me perspective of rather than what makes us different and those things there's importance in that as well and challenge in that but also what draws us together what makes us the same and so it's a complete different shift and so can this be applied in families schools workplaces sports teams faith communities absolutely and you know even i'm a parent of a young child and i have to challenge myself to embody the restorative principles and how i parent because yeah. because it makes sense and it's 
yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons the work has has really spoken to me over the years and kind of like, you know, hit me in the gut the first, excuse me, the first time I heard about it, because it it just speaks to me of like what it means to be human. And it's, you said this word earlier, like it's totality, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, yes, broad application. How do we get creative? How do we use restorative processes, not only as response to when harm has happened? How do we employ the practices and the philosophy in how we are in everyday life, proactively, preventatively, just by being a human. We all mess up multiple times in our lives, sometimes daily. And, you know, we maybe unknowingly, many of us already are restorative and we use those practices. And so rather than it see, you know, seeing it as this one definite thing that it's it's more to me about like a way of doing and being than just something you do when something bad happens. Mm, and so, yeah, so that, you know, is something that jumps out for me. I really believe in the momentum of where the province is going with the various partners at play. Uh, I do want to give a shout out, um, and I'm looking at one of them on the screen right now, Ray, and to a number of other community champions around the province who have been practicing um, restorative justice and supporting their communities and empowering people who've experienced hurt. And that can also go for the people who've caused the harm, right? And seeing, you know, giving dignity and creating space to to blossom these programs um, and relationships around the province. It's been happening for decades and there's there's champions all over and there's champions at different levels in all the stakeholder groups. And I, I do feel very positively about the direction that we're going. Um, I think that uh, there's, of, of course, some practical pieces that are, are no secret. We, you know, wanting to see maybe more funding, um, how we can work kind of how we can meet the needs of some communities that it might be remote or have fewer resources. How do we get smarter with how we work so that when we say restorative justice is accessible, we really mean it's accessible around the province right. um, rather than only where you have an RJ program. Right. And so building on the strong network that's already there. And I, I, from my perspective, I do think a lot, you know, especially regionally focused in the province in different parts and with the, with the Alberta Restorative Justice Association, with our, our, our supports with um, restorative justice and criminal, or uh, sorry, restorative justice and specialized courts with justice, um, with the pilot project crew, um, and, you know, various criminal justice system partners, indigenous community, law enforcement, um, victim services, we are, you know, it's a lot of pieces to put together but we're doing the puzzle. It's like a, a thousand piece puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. Or more, that maybe. Was, yeah, that was really well, well said. And uh, there's what I hear from that is that there is in fact a lot of hope uh, and op opportunity um, to realize on. What about you, Ray? What are your hopes for, uh, for where this process will continue to go? Well, we've always said that restorative, restorative justice has to be with the police as well. How yeah. our people are being policed. Yeah. You know, uh, we have elders that were stopped by these young rookies that come here and they are all of a sudden they get a ticket for not coming to a full stop at a when there's nobody coming, you know, and it, 
have done that, <laughs> and they've done that all their lives. And for for the first time, they're appearing in court on these charges. So it they have to there has to be some way of the the police working with us, and we have a we're supposed to have a direct referral uh, pilot project with the police, and because of certain charges, they can't refer. It's at a standstill, was waiting for a year. And some of those cases we see in court could have been handled way sooner. Mm. And that's what we hope will happen. Uh, our nation is looking at our, our own policing. Uh, mm. I don't know how that's going to look like. Uh, it's something I'm addressing right now. But we see the RCMP now changing. You know, we're, we're offering to work with them. They have a town hall meeting that where they got a... Uh, uh, <laughs> they got the whole community against them. And mm -hmm. I didn't go to that. And they were asked, why weren't you there? Well, I sold the next one that you have. I will co-host it with you. I'll feed the people. And then we'll we'll talk about how we can work together. Mm -hmm. So there's there's that. And there's uh, our relationship with our local departments as well. There's too much confidentiality, you know, that gets in a way. We yep. need to be working as a hub program where we share everything, leave the policies at the door. You know, we need housing needs. There's our people are living in, in shacks. When you know, how can you improve, change your life if you're having to do that? You right. go to treatment, uh, you know, six, 50, 60 days, you come back to the same environment. And so we have to be able to find a way where if this person is changing, Let's make it easier for that person. And, yep. and that's where we're at. Children are uh, uh, programming. Um, I talk with the police a lot. There's a lot of them now that are interested in sports and working with youth. Well, that's a big step. And, yeah. and, and to me, that's restorative policing. And right. so, so that's, where, that's where I'd like to go. I'd like to see our community where... If we're dealing with a person in justice, it's a, it's a client of all the other agencies in the community as well. That's, yeah. 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 I if I could add, I really like what you had to say, Ray. And I I I particularly about um how we work together more efficiently and sharing of information and making things work i find sometimes like instead of shifting like how how come how can this not work or why this shouldn't work but how do we make it work and recognizing that how some communities make it work is different than others um but streamlining processes like making it logistically easier because we all know that in the work that we do you know we got lots going on and sometimes i think people's hesitation to engage with the program is sometimes just like the forms or the work or the steps or the relationships. Yep. And if we can create that together, again, a restorative perspective, create it together, build it together, everyone's opinion, what are your needs? How do we problem solve when something goes awry? Um, we make it work. And I, I think, you know, for us here in Peace River, yeah, some of those successes have been built on, you know, with the Crown and RCMP and victim services. How are we going to do a referral process that works well for us? And we hit the ground running. So I do recognizing those those practical pieces do go a long way um, and i think it also sets the tone like you said for restorative policing and restorative collaboration amongst agencies yeah 
Well, thank you to each of you, China and Ray, for taking time today to provide your perspective. This was really insightful and really helpful, and I think it really rounds out this double episode that we've had uh, featured on this podcast on restorative justice. I'm really thankful and really pleased that you were able to share your views and opinions. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Heather, and uh, for for welcoming Ray and I, and of course, for featuring this important work that uh, our hearts are in for the long haul. Thank you. Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update.